welcome to Let's Talk It All. I'm Anvil. And I'm Jeff. And we're here to talk about it all. And tonight, Jeff, what's on the lineup for tonight? I believe we're going to be discussing the great world of the automobile. automobile. Particularly, yes, classic cars. Classic cars, all right. You know, um, I don't know about you, but um, ever since I was a toddler, um, I always loved cars. And, I, you know, I don't know if it's a guy thing or what, but uh, my father, when I was young, uh, he had a 68 Plymouth Satellite two-door. And granted, it only had a 318, um, but it was a cool-looking car. You know, um, back then, they all looked cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, back then. And you had to do a lot to them to make them look cool. You slip on a pair of cool-looking mags and decent-looking tires, and, you know, you get a nice little car. Pinch repair. Yeah. 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 Exactly, you know. Um... Now, in comparison to today, um, I, you know, I, I should be fair. Um, I think we live in one of the most exciting times ever when it comes to the automobile. And the reason for that is, if someone would have asked me 30 years ago if a Camaro, or a Mustang for that matter, would be able to go 200 miles per hour off the showroom floor and be affordable. And I mean affordable in today's terms, we're talking $45,000. But that's what they can do. The 2017 Camaro SS has a top speed of close, it's a one-way speed is 202, but its roundout speed is 198 miles per hour. It'll run the quarter mile in 12.3 seconds <laughs> on street tires, the tires you, you get off, right off the showroom floor. To me, that's just astounding. That's just, ast- and they pull G-forces that, you know, Ferraris <laughs> have a hard time making. It's just, and I'm, you know, just uh, the Camaro, I'm talking about the Mustang as well. They're just amazing automobiles today. And there's a horsepower war going on once again. Uh, crazy. Um, so, and you may not know, I'm just going to ask this. So, that is street legal? Yeah, you buy it right what's, what's the, I always thought anything that would run like a NASCAR right off the showroom floor <laughs> would be not legal for a street use. No, no, you can go right down your GM dealership or your Ford dealership for that. And, uh, you know, you can, you can put down your money, about $50,000, and you're figuring the gas goes are tax and all that crap, uh, yeah. you know. But uh, you walk out of there with a, you know, motor that's 455 horsepower and 455 foot-pounds of torque, 0 to 60 in uh, 4.2 seconds. Uh, <laughs> again, a quarter mile in 12.3 seconds. And has a top speed of close to 200 miles per hour. And will pull G-forces on the racetrack to excessive 1G. It, that's just amazing. And then you move up and you want to spend sixty, you know, five thousand. You, you get yourself to ZL one, which you got a supercharger on it, you know, and that, you know, six hundred fifty horsepower, completely street legal. You buy it right from the dealership. You drive right off the the, the, the showroom floor. Yeah, that'd be yeah. nothing but trouble. <laughs> I can't drive. Yeah, well, you're driving. I can't right drive. I watched two thousand six Avalon. I'm not getting pulled over in a ticket. So yeah, although I will say. If I had one of those vehicles, I'd probably try to outrun the Eden Police Department. <laughs> and I think this guy was the Eden Police Department that day. But that's, that was a whole other show. And uh, I'm still waiting to hear back on what the final disposition on that was. But, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, that's, that's crazy, especially today. Luckily, most of these kids can't afford that, which is probably a good thing. Because I've seen the, the caliber of drivers we're getting year after year, and it just scares me. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's just an amazing time. Um, again, I, I would have told someone they were nuts, you know, 25, 30 years ago. That's when you know, I bought my Camaro was about 26 years ago. And I have a 1972 Camaro, folks, by the way. It's a real cool-looking one with a sharp nose and the round tail lights like a Ferrari. And there's a story behind that, which we'll get to tonight because it actually ties in. But... Um, I would never have imagined because, you know, back in the day, or, you know, this is like 91, 92, you know, 91, you know, Camaro's had, you know, 350 or 305 and, you know, maybe 250 horsepower if they were lucky. Um, in the Mustangs, the same thing, you know, 302 and 240, 250 horsepower, whatever it was back then. Um, definitely no screamers. And even a few years before that, six or seven years ago, you're, you're talking maybe 225. In a quarter mile in like you know 16 seconds, it was just ridiculously slow in compared to today. Yeah. Um, Ferraris were running, you know, you know, in the height, you know, the mid 13s or whatever back then. Uh, 
just to kind of give you a, a benchmark, um, even the Corvettes weren't very fast, you know, in the 14 second cars. And, you know, it wasn't until the, uh, uh, really, the ZR1, the original ZR1 came out, you know, the motor was made by Lotus, because GM didn't have their, it really didn't have their stuff together, is the best way to put it. Um, That's true. Yeah, they were still relying, and they still do today, they were relying on Pushrod V8. Um, but there was no, they had more, as John DeLorean said about GM, he, by the way, was the youngest general manager at GM ever, um, and obviously he started his own car company called the DeLorean, uh, but he said about GM uh, close to his death. Car, car company slash time machine. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, yes. anyways, get you. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, that's all right. That's that's a great point. Uh, but uh, he had said that GM had more bean counters than it did engineers, uh, meaning that there was more people looking at the bottom dollar than there were actually engineers working on the car. And then at his time of his death, which was in like nineteen, God, it might have been actually closer to two thousand because he was like eighty five years old. But it was. It, he's been dead a while, uh, regardless, maybe 98. Um, but uh, he was right at that time. You know, there, there really was. There wasn't any... It, you still had the Corvette, you had the ZR1, and you had the, the LT1 motor at that point, which was made by GM, and it was a pusherod V8, no more Lotus. Um, but there wasn't the sense that the, the, the Camaro, which was canceled, by the way, so there was really no market to compete with the Mustang. Nobody had anything being with the Mustang. You had the Corvette, which was the different, you know, different category. Yeah. It was superior to the Mustang in every way, shape, and form, other than passenger carrying and you know what it can carry uh, cargo. That was the only, <laughs> only area the Corvette. But a Mustang lacked. was something everyone could. It was a pony car. Oh, that's what you know. There was muscle cars, right? And then you had pony cars: the Camaro, the Trans Am, the Ford Mustang, the AMC Javelin. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Dodge Challenger back in the day and the Dodge Cuda, or the Plymouth Cuda, those were pony cars. And they raced in the original Trans Am series from 67 through, I think, 73 or 74, um, which, by the way, is what NASCAR should have been. Um, and the reason I say that, by the way, um, I don't know if you're watching the old Trans Am series cars. Mm -hmm. or any, oh, my gosh. Just watch YouTube sometime. Or, you know, every year, folks, I'm going to give a plug because Watkins Glen every year puts on an event and it's different sponsors every year and i'm not sure who's sponsoring this year but i'm going again um but uh they bring back everything uh really back to the 40s um right up to about the 1980s uh for uh classic car racing around the track and they have all the old you know uh, trans am series cars and all that and it's a uh, september 7th and 8th and 9th of this year, if I remember correctly, um, it's the, the best money I ever spent in my entire life. I can honestly say that. Um, they have on Friday, uh, the Friday of that same week, they actually have uh, you can sign up if you have a car that qualifies, which I do, and I did last year. It was the best time of my life. Um, you can pay a little money. Um, it's one of the biggest car shows you'll ever see because every street in Watkins Glen is they're shut down and they're packed with classic cars and Ferraris and Lotuses and muscle cars and just anything, you, it, it, Jaguars, whatever you can come up with, you're going to see it there. Lamborghinis, it's all there. And every year, I mean, just literally every year, and um, you sign up and you pay a little extra money and you get to do the old original course, road course to Watkins Glen. Nice. So you're in a group of like 15 other cars and they go in groups and you just race around and there's people and there, you know, there's like 50,000 people there cheering you on. It's the, one of the greatest feelings ever. It's, a, it's just a blast. And it, even from a, a spectator standpoint, there's all kinds of food and merchandise and obviously hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars to look at. And, and, and you know, last year I met Vic Eldenbrock, who's the, the founder of Eldenbrock Car Company. Okay, it makes all these performance heads and intake manifolds. NASCAR uses his shit. I mean, super world famous. Indy stuff uses stuff. You know, uh, I got to meet him. I got to meet his daughter, which, uh, who races in the uh, classic Trans Am series race cars. Um, just great people. Um, I got to meet uh, NASCAR announcers that were there that race in these series. Uh, and I can't remember his name right now. I feel foolish because I can't. But I remember thinking, God, I know this guy from somewhere. And after I walked, he actually let me sit in his car, me and my kid. And uh, when I walked away, like 20 minutes later, I'm like, oh, my God, that's blah, blah, blah from NASCAR. I see him every Sunday on the TV. That felt like a retard. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> I could have got his autograph and anything about it. But I'll see him this year, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, but yeah, just yeah, it's, it's just an unbelievable experience. Um, and I kind of went tangent on that, but I, I, right. I just Let's had to mention that event that's coming up this September this year. You, you kept it about cars, so you know, we didn't and, go that far off track. Yeah, and it's a great event. It, it really sounds, is. And it, I believe it'll be the week after we hear this broadcast. Oh my gosh, it probably. Or so, I think. Yeah, no, for, is it the no, it's the second week of September, so this will oh. air right before. Right this before. is like perfect timing. You'll you'll, you'll yeah. get you'll get this, and uh, you got a week to get your get your ticket, get up there, get your plans. And if you just want to be a spectator, it doesn't cost anything. You just walk around town and look That's at the true. cars and watch the cars race through town and just have a blast, man. I mean, there's beer, there's food, there's all the, the exotic cigars being sold. You name it, dude, you're gonna see it there. You know, you're going to see it there. And then if you have a little extra, you know, coin, you know, you pay the 60 bucks or whatever it is up at Watkins Glen, and you get a pass, and you get to watch the real race cars from yesterday run around the track. And then you get to see, like last year I did this. You sure I'm not. I don't think this year I'm doing it. But last year I paid extra to be on the Watkins Glen racetrack as well, which was just an absolute incredible experience. I've done it before. This, that was my fourth time doing it. But, uh... You know, the kid was with me, and he was taking pictures, and you're out there with, you know, 50 other classic cars, and you're racing around the track, and at the end, I, I said to the kid, because your adrenaline was flowing, I'm like, my gosh, you know, I, we had four laps for five laps, I said, boy, we, we passed a lot of cars, he goes, what are you talking about, pass a lot, he goes, dad, you, we passed them all, you're right behind the pace car, I didn't even realize how many cars I passed, you know what I'm saying, flying around yeah. the track, you know, because up on the front stretch and the back stretch, you, could, you know, I was doing like 120. I was flying. I mean, that, you know, 1972 Camaro, I mean, it's built, obviously. But, you know, for that, that was fun. And, of course, you know, I <clears throat> manual brake, so diving into the corner. Oh, so you take your own car on the race. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. My car. My 1972, yeah. 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 Maybe I'll enter the Scion. The, uh, <laughs> well, the, the 2006 XB Scion <laughs> bread truck. Well, for the stuff through town... Multi-tone, red and black fenders. The stuff through town is called, uh, put on by a group of... Uh, a big driver organization called Stone Bridge Drivers. And there's certain criteria your car has to meet. You have to send photographs. And it, it's got to be a certain year. And, you know, so... No, yeah, there'll be you know, no... Just give me the eye. Give me, <laughs> these give me the look like, yeah, the bread truck ain't going to make it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I have seen people have rented... Cargo vans and been on the Watkins Glen racetrack, and I've seen it with my own two eyes. In cargo vans? Yes, in cargo vans. So it is possible. Just so they can say the experience of being on the racetrack in a vehicle. So they've done it. I've seen it. It's done. Although I don't waste have a lot on it. It's got some pop it, to it. Last year, if I remember. I need to put good tires on it, though. Last year, I believe, yeah, right. I believe the event was hosted by Jaguar, and the reason I say it is because they had uh, free test drive Jaguars at Watkins Glen Racetrack, and I paid extra for this. We stayed at the racetrack all three days. We camped at the racetrack, by the way. And uh, so anyway, I got to test drive a brand new Jaguar around a road course, you know, in the parking lot, which is really cool. You know, I'm driving around in an $85,000 vehicle. <laughs> it was really awesome. Um, it didn't cost me anything extra because I already paid for my ticket. I mean, it's just all these cool little things that go on. Yeah, sounds it. Um, that you get to be involved in. And it's not like a NASCAR race. Um, it's packed. But the pits are open. You don't need a special... Like, I drove my Camaro into the open bay of the pits and took pictures of it. Next to race cars. I mean, that's how open it is. Nice. And that's why I said this is what NASCAR should have been. Um, it, it's just a phenomenal time. And I'm gonna, I, I can spend, literally spend the whole show just talking about that, but I'm not going to. So let's get back to the classic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, Watkins Glen, and it's, it's like, yeah, it's like this whole area. There's, it, it seems very unobtrusive, seems like a nice little, there's a lot of things to do up in that area if you are not a car enthusiast. Yes. So if you're bringing the wife, or it's an outing and you're bringing the wives, whether or not to the cars, uh, probably within a 30-mile radius of Watkins Glen, there's probably about 60 wineries. I would say there's even more than that. But you're probably right. more yeah. than that, yeah. but um, the wine trails up on the Finger Lakes in central New York is ridiculous. You can't um, swing a dead cat without hitting <laughs> the next winery. Yep. Um, and they do limo things and you don't have to drive. So 
you know, you want to go to the cars and you want to occupy the wife or the wife and her friend, whatever it is. Um, book them a limo for the day or two days and just send them off winery hopping. Yep. Um, they will be gone the whole two days. There's just that many wineries up there. Um, I know usually when Nalani and I go, we're lucky to get through half of a side. Of course, I'm driving, so at that point, I got to <laughs> calculate the drive back. But, yeah, it's just time-wise, too. You just can't hit them. Yeah, um, I mean, and we went, me and Heather did it that, that, uh, a couple months ago, a month ago, a month and a half ago. ago. Yeah. Um, and I was designated driver. We only made it to eight wineries, and we spent the entire day there. We made it to eight wineries because you're doing wine tasting, you're tasting wines, and you got to stop for food. And then, you know, you get to a point where you're like, all right, maybe we should stop <laughs> drinking. You know, I mean, like. You get you got to be responsible, so, and I wasn't really drinking at all. I mean, I hardly had anything. But you look at her, I'm like, all right, time to stop. Well, you don't think <laughs> after after sampling, same, you know, it it, it, catch, uh, it adds up and catches up. And yeah. Some of the some of the uh, sample people have a little bit of a heavy heavy thumb, hand, heavy, yeah. heavy hand on yeah. some of those pours. Um, but there is there's some great food. Um, there's a bunch of antique places up that way. Oh my gosh, yes. Again, yeah. if, if you want to occupy your significant other that isn't into cars or a bunch of guys are going in the wife's, it'd be great. One, you can take your wives with you. So you're the man, you're the hero, but send them out into the countryside <laughs> to do the other things while you're, while you're enjoying yourself. And it's a great weekend for them. It'd be a great weekend for you. Um, and the area is just beautiful on top of it. Yeah. Walking Glen is like right on like. Yes. And, yes. and there's boat tours too. If boat you tours want. and all kinds of you know, the weather's decent, there's beaches, and yep. again, um, it's a great way to include your significant other and not be bothered by your significant other. So, exactly, just throwing it out not there. Not that they're ever a bother. Not, nope, nope, <laughs> not what I'm saying. <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, uh, everyone will have a great weekend, and uh, you'll be a hero for including the, the missus. On your weekend. That's right. Just thinking. Just saying. Well, well, now, you've been around a little bit longer than me. Oh, boy. <clears throat> 50 years. Uh, just kidding, folks. Uh, 52. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the most powerful car that you remember owning? What was the motor? I'll put that way. Most powerful one, I think we talked about this last week, uh, towards the end, was my dad's 72 Caprice that had the 402 engine. Oral two big block. Um, that's probably the most powerful car I ever had. Uh, some of the other ones were just, like I said, I started out on a, uh, I think it was a 70 or 71 Maverick. And this thing was just kind of like a metal shell over an engine in a seat. <laughs> um, the neighbor had converted the column. It was a manual transmission. And he converted the column transmission shifter to the floor. Uh, I and did was, the same thing in my car. And it was car. only a three-speed. <laughs> so it was three speeds in reverse. Um, my dad had an Opal that I drove every now and then. Um, that was different. I don't know. I, I think Opal's still around, but I've never seen one well, in Opal this area. Well, Opal was a, a sub of uh, General Motors. Was it? Yeah. Um, and I actually... It was more exotic than that. But I just they know. No, they did. They had a ex very exotic car. Um, it was smaller than the Corvette. It was called the Corvette's baby brother, actually, at one point. This is like 1968, by the way. This, this I'm going back a long time. <laughs> if you're trying to picture an Opal, picture a Subaru and a Pinto. And that might give you an idea. And the car was this... It wasn't orange, but it wasn't yellow. It was something in between. In between. Yeah, it was, a, weird it was a little darker than a school bus, I think. But... Uh, that was alright. I got I got us around. Plus, plus back then you had the option to reset the odometer. So <laughs> if you didn't want your dad to find out, you know you've been driving all over the hell of the car, you would just fill the gas tank back up and then turn the odometer back to uh, the mileage that it was a little bit before then. Oh, um, the good old days. All the good old days. <laughs> uh, I think the I think the first new car I owned. I think the first new car I owned was. I can't remember the year, but it was a Dodge, no, yes, Dodge Charger. And back then, Dodge and Plymouth and whoever else, Chrysler, yeah. they all made identical cars. They just put different names on them. So this Dodge Charger 
again, it kind of looked like a Pinto, <laughs> made to look not like a Pinto. Um, but it was not the kind of charger you think about when you think of... generally generally <laughs> Although painting the orange would have been funny. But uh, it was a candy yellow red, and there was a nice little car. Uh, what year was this? Oh, my God. I had it when I went to work for Dover Electronics and IBM in Poughkeepsie. So that must have been 80... Oh yeah, Six, yeah, that, yeah. That's the bad year. Yeah. So I think like eighty four to eighty seven yeah. was this model of design. Um, this before the car. Okay yeah, that's yeah. car. That's where you had to go. Um, you know, one of those things. Uh, I also had a Pontiac Sunbird. So this, this, this was. I think this was a poor man's attempt at a Pontiac Firebird. <laughs> um, but again, car. It was, it was a four-seater, four but it felt like a two-seater because was, the backseat was very tough to get into. It was very small. But uh, it, it bummed around. Again, it was, when I was younger, and it was no big deal. Uh, what are some of the other beasts I've owned over the years? Although I will say, the car I liked the most, I just could not afford to keep it on the road, was in <clears throat> 1980, 1981 Cadillac Seville. Ah, beautiful car. These things... This one was, was gold and black. And if you are familiar, it's a Cadillac, first of all, which you can't. That says a lot of it. But the Seville's were the ones with the trunk was cut off, kind of. Right. Had the sloped down trunk, it was smaller. Yep. But there was still a lot of trunk room, but it, it didn't look like it. Uh, this thing had, and it, it was loaded. It had uh, had the sunroof or moonroof, whatever they called it back then. Um, and we had gotten it at an auction, it was, but it would just cost so much to keep. <laughs> when something went wrong, it went wrong. It was freaking expensive to fix, but I loved that car. I loved that car. It was probably one of my favorite cars. Um, I had a Monte Carlo for a few years, and I liked that car too. That was they had some pick up and go to it. Um, really, uh, other than that charger, that one year most of my cars were used. Uh, had an Oldsmobile Cutlass. And this thing was a tank. I drove that until I thought it wouldn't, I thought it wouldn't go anymore. <laughs> and then gave it to my son-in-law because he needed a car. And he drove it for another couple of years. But this thing just kept going and going and going. I was very impressed with it. Hmm. So, and now I'm driving an 06 Cyan red truck. It, it gets you around. Which... I had a minivan before that, which I didn't think I'd be a minivan person, but I kind of liked it because it was a minivan my way. I'd basically pulled out all the seats out of the back. So it, was just, <laughs> it was like a family cargo van. God forbid I got taken with me because they were just rolling around the back of the truck. But uh, yeah, that's one of my cars. Like I said, my favorite, my, the one I probably the most was my dad's Caprice. And the one I probably liked the most was the one I can, could not afford to keep on the road, and that was a Cadillac. It was just a, just a great ride, just smooth ride. Tan leather interior. Uh, my wife and I, we, back then there was a uh, road rally, which were a big thing back when I had it. Right. And we would go out on a Saturday Sunday for a road rally and just take this thing on a road rally. <laughs> It'd just be the way to go with it. Mm. So, yeah, those are vehicles that I had that I really liked. Cool. Nothing fancy, nothing crazy. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my first car I bought when I was, I want to say I was 15. It was down the street from where my parents built a house. And uh, it was a 78 Chevy Monza. Okay. And I, if I remember correctly, it was a little 305 in it. Uh, but that was my first car. I didn't anything with it. I didn't know anything about cars. And it was funny as my, my father was mechanically inclined. And my older brother was a gear head. But he was always in and out of trouble. So it was always kind of hard to hang out with him. Um but my second car was a 1972 Dodge Charger Special Edition with a 440 TNT and a 727 Torque Flight transmission with a pistol ship shifter. And uh, they were really kind of cool, pistol grip shifter. Um, that car, literally, when you stopped on it, would pull the front wheels just a little bit off the ground. That's how much horsepower those mm -hmm. cars had. You know, 440 big block at 440 foot-pounds of torque. No joke, and you could feel it. Um, I actually bought that car off my older brother because he was going to jail and he needed bail money. 
<laughs> so uh, I, I, yeah. family love. Yeah, I owned the car family for about two months uh, until he bought it back for me. So that was it was short lived, but it was mine. Um, uh, my next car that was that I bought was my 1972 Chevy Camaro. And there I was, this kid, and again, I knew very little about cars. I was learning at that point, but I didn't know nearly enough for what I got myself into. Um, I had this buddy at work, his name was Rob, and Rob had a 77 Camaro. And uh, beautiful cars, uh, just gorgeous. Um, but it had a 327 at the 305 had died long ago, and him and another guy had built a little 327 and stuck it in. So, uh, Rob was a little younger than me. He was a year younger than me. He was 18. I was 19. And then he got me into Camaros, and he's like, you got to buy one. And he goes, there's a 72 sitting over in the field over in Johnson City. You should go buy that car. I'm like, oh, I don't even know what they look like. He goes, oh, dude, they look really cool. And I'm like, all right. So, as soon as I saw this thing, I'm like, I fell in love. Other than the paint. It was black with pink stripes. And I'm like, oh, I ain't, I ain't down with that. But it had these really cool round taillights in the back and like this sharp nose on it. I'm like, wow, this thing is sharp. And my buddy Rob like, yeah, man, they only made them this way for three years, 70 through 73, and they didn't make them like that ever again. And I go, damn, this thing is a good-looking car. So anyway, the guy wanted 1500 bucks, And I could, you know, I knew enough at that point that this guy uh, was making a lot of money off the car. You know, I had asked him if there's any Bondo in it, and he, he said no, and I had a funny feeling was lying. And my older brother came and looked at it, obviously, um, after the fact, and said this car's filled with Bondo, and he was right. Uh, but I bought the car anyway. I got it for 1200 bucks, towed it home. <laughs> had, a, had a little 305 in it, which I was told was a 350, but it was a 305. And uh, anyway, long story short, the whole car needed to be done. It needed a quarter panel, it needed a rear end, it needed a transmission, it needed a motor. So for the next four years of my life, um, I learned a lot about cars. Uh, I was introduced to another gentleman. His name is Lou Snyder, and he actually lives in Florida now. But uh, he was uh, he builds race motors for uh, you know different uh, race teams. Uh, he knew his stuff, to put it lightly. Um, and he built the motor that's in it now. Uh, and I got to you know help him with that. But uh, he's the one that taught me the most. Um, but yeah, it was a great learning experience. Now the cool thing about my generation Camaro, the 73-73, is John DeLorean was brought in from Pontiac over to GM side because the Camaro and uh, the Nova uh, were behind schedule. And the Chevelle, by the way, too. Uh, so they wanted John to fix up the Camaro. He couldn't change the body panels, but he could change the front of the car and the back of the car. Now, John, many years ago, used to do a little work for Ferrari. So... He took the round taillights. A lot of people thought I think it came with a Corvette, but didn't. John took the round taillight design from the Ferrari and put it on the Camaro. And it pushed back uh, the year the, uh, the Camaro was actually released. See, you have generations. 67 through 69 is called the first generation Camaro. 70 and a half through 1980 is the second generation Camaro, then on and on and on. Well, it was supposed to be released in 1970 as a 70 model, but GM was behind schedule, so they actually had to push it back to 70 and a half. So that's when the car came out. So you could actually buy a, a 70 Camaro that looked like exactly like a 69, and then three months later buy another 70 Camaro that looked like mine. Completely different design. Um, this is the working of GM. Um, but yeah, so anyway, my Camaro looks really cool. It's got the round taillights in the back, and you had these really big wings they put on them. And actually, they actually served a purpose to get back to the original Trans Am series, and this is why the story involved itself. See, the original Trans Am series is what NASCAR should have been, and this is why. NASCAR is called stock car racing. There's zero stock about these cars at all, okay? Mm -hmm. Zero. But the Trans Am series was... If a car, if you saw it out on the track in a Trans Am series, you know, whether it be a, a, a Plymouth Cuda, a Dodge Challenger, AMC Javelin, Pontiac Trans Am, or a Camaro, um, that car had to come from, from the factory with the options you saw, meaning 500 models, at least 500 models had to be released by the factory to be sold to the public to what you saw on that racetrack, which was really cool. So the Camaros are getting their butts kicked in 1970. So 71, you know, they're like, we got to do something about giving more downforce to the car. So they developed this wing for the back of the car, which I have. It's called a tall spoiler. 
And it actually really does serve a purpose, and I can actually testify to this. But at 120 miles per hour, it's putting down 700 foot-pounds of torque on the car, pushing the car closer to the track and pushing it down. Or I'm sorry, not 700, 500 uh, pounds of torque. So it's increasing your speed and makes you glue to the racetrack. And that's the cool thing about my car is the faster you go, the better the handling the car gets because it's being pushed. And plus, I have a front. The front spoiler on the car is what's developed for Trans Am as well, Trans Am Race Series. It pushes the car down and glues the road. Um, it's an amazingly, you know, for a car that was built, you know, 1972, oh, yeah. it, it handles like it's on rails at 140 miles per hour, and I, I can testify that. It's amazing. You know, it really is. Um, but, yeah, so that was my, uh, my second car. It's now got a, a 355 in it that was built 20-some years ago. Uh, forged crank, forged rods, forged 11-to-1 compression pistons. Oh, there's a the whole story behind this, too. And we did up the heads all real nice, you know. It's got a roller cam in it and MSD ignition system, which you see on the NASCAR cars and all that junk. Uh, well, here we are, you know, 20-some years later, and the motor needed a little bit of upgrade. Now, Anvil, you got to see all the cool stuff oh, yeah. I bought. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll have to post some pictures up on the website. Um, but uh, so I bought a set of what's called airflow research heads, you know, for this motor. Now, I went through about six months trying to find heads that were, you know that I felt confident that were going to work on my old style dome pistons. The reason I say this is when I was a kid when we first built the motor there was a, there was a company called Trickflow and they came up with a new design they were called a G2 twisted wedge head for Chevrolet and they actually moved the combustion chamber on the head so they had a twisted design like you did on a big block Chevy very similar design. So I bought a set of those heads. They're only nine hundred bucks, but you know, twenty years ago, that's like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. You know, so I spent the big money. Now, and I said to the guy at Summit Racing, I remember being on the phone with him saying, "Now these will work with dome pistons, right? GM dome pistons." The guy's like, "Yeah, no problem, no problem, no problem." I'm like, "Are you sure?" Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So anyway, paid the money. Heads come. I'm like a kid on Christmas. You know, you, you almost got tears coming in your eyes. You're so excited to open up the box. I open up the box and here are these aluminum heads, just absolutely gorgeous. And there's this piece of paper that falls out. And I think I better read that. So I picked up the piece of paper and said, Whatever you do, do not use the dome pistons. I'm like, Son of a bitch. I was pissed. Pissed. Because the way they designed the combustion chambers moved the valves, the valves would smack right on top of the piston. There was no way. And I put them on anyway. We, we checked it with clay. There was no way that, that it was going to work. So. I was very disappointed. I ended up selling the heads to a buddy of mine's motor, which it made way more horsepower on mine because of those heads, and it just pissed me off. And because I, I spent so much more money on the internals on mine, mm -hmm. I even had like you know engine studs you know, for the heads and everything. I, I spent way crazy amount of money, you know, winded tray and six quart oil pan and all this other junk. Everything was forged, roller cam, but his motor made more horsepower, even though he had junk components because of the heads. So anyway, fast forward to today. So I learned my lesson back then. So I started doing my research, and what got very frustrating was every company I talked to, and we should probably take a break on this so we can do a shot, because look what time it is. Oh, my goodness. We've been gabbing. Yeah. yeah I, I've been gabbing. I, I've been talking up the whole show. I yeah, apologize. Right. All right. So what are we doing a shot tonight, sir? We're doing a shot of Rockstream Ognols from Seneca Lake. That's up from one of the wineries, folks. It is. 2015. That was a great year a couple years yes. ago. So. Now, they make a wine in the same stuff, but this is actually the liquor version of it. We bought the wine as well. It was fantastically good. Um, but this liquor is good as, uh, as well. And he's pointing right now, folks. You know what's going on. There were awesome skull glasses that you'll see on Let's Talk at All. You will see. And he's going to be taking a picture right now. And we're also drinking beer tonight, by the way. I am enjoying a Samuel Adams Honey Rye Pale Ale that you can find at Sam's Club in a variety pack. You get the 28 pack for like 27 bucks. Um, and we, I also bought the 28 pack of the Oktoberfest, which came out uh, at Sam's Club as well. And uh, Anvil is drinking Maple Red by Mr. Samuel Adams, who was a patriot and a brewer, by the way. Brewer. Um, <laughs> not, not a brewer. 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 And this Brewer. is what happens. I, I slur my speech when I drink it occasionally. Brewer. All right. Well, here's to swimming. Swimming. Drinking. 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 Somebody. Both like women. That's it. That'll work. 
Mmm. 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 That was actually. I like it. I like that kind of stuff. I'm seeing yeah. you're not sold on it. No, I'm good. Oh, that's okay. good. Right. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good stuff. Boop, boop. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, where were we? I don't remember. Car. Pistons. Oh, yeah. All right. So, this time, so I contacted Trick Flow again, saying new design heads. Actually, a G2 head was stopped because they had. Uh, Apparently, and I'm not known for sure, but I've heard rumors, uh, valve guide issues, the way they uh, designed the combustion chambers and twisted them. But anyway, uh, talking to Twerk foe, they didn't think the heads would work on my pistons. So fair enough, at least they gave me an honest answer. Of course, I called Summit again, like, oh, all the heads would carry will work, all of them. Uh, which I knew was completely false. Um, I talked to a company called Blueprint, which is a great company and great customer service. And if I ever buy a crate motor, it's coming from Blueprint. I was extremely impressed. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't really give me a straight answer on their heads. Uh, their heads, uh, they do make an excellent head product. They make excellent product all around. Uh, but they don't use dome pistons on anything they, they make. So they really couldn't tell me if their heads would work with a dome piston, which is fair enough. Um, I called Eldenbrock. Again, Vic. I met Vic, the owner, the starter of the company. Um, and I should have asked him at the damn racetrack, and I did it. But. So... Uh, and I got two different answers each time I called. One guy said he think they'd fit. The other guy, no. So I kind of gave him an out rock. So then I called Dart High Performance. And I talked to two different technicians on two different occasions with them. And one guy said yes. The other guy laughed at me and said, hell no. So I didn't want to go with Dart. Um, trick flow again. One guy said, I don't know, literally. And the other guy said, maybe, I don't know. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but the customer service is good. I, I can't complain about uh, airflow research as well. So I was on a webpage, old car blog, and I found an email for a guy named Tony Mamo. Um, this was the guy I wanted to talk to because this Tony Mamo uh, used to work for airflow research and was the guy, the engineer who designed the heads that I eventually bought. He started his own company called Namo Motorsports, uh, which my next set of heads will come from. Uh, but Tony, so I emailed him at this old email address, and he responded. So this guy owns his own company now, busier than heck. And he actually took time to answer my questions about a competing product, because he designed the combustion chamber, so he knew. And he said, you know what? They should, he you know, kind of amplifies should, fit. But you still need to check piston and valve clearance, but they should fit. And if they don't, just massage the heads, the combustion chamber, the piston a little bit. But they should bolt right on. And he was right, by the way. I did check everything. I ordered a set. After talking, you know, emailing back and forth with him, I did set a, get a set of AFR heads. Um, $1,700. Lots of money to spend, but well worth it. Um, and they fit perfectly. Um, so that was my story with the heads. It actually took me six months to... And it was a lot of debating because... You know, you don't want to order something and put them on and find out they don't work because you can't return heads once you install them on a motor. You know, it's not like, you know, it's kind of like underwear. Once you put them on, you're, you own those bitches. You know, you're not you're not returning them. Um, and, of course, Summit's telling me all the time, well, it don't fit, no problem. They guys didn't know. They're just trying to make a sale. Uh, nothing against Summit Racing. They're great people over there, but uh, they, they are trying to make a sale. Um, so my advice to everybody is just go to the, the manufacturer themselves and try and find somebody who really knows something about the product. I had to go outside the company to find somebody who knew something about the product, but I found somebody. I yeah, found yeah. the guy who designed the heads. The guy. Yeah. So that's my story, my oh, 1970 Camaro, which is bright yellow and black stripes. You can't miss it. And way I painted the car way before the Transformer movie, so it has nothing to do with the Transformer movie. But people, kids, little kids will see it and think it's, they call it Bumblebee. Right, because like everything else, what was old is new. And right. The design looks similar. The new designs yeah. look similar. Yeah. And the, what's funny about the movie Transformers is the original Bumblebee was a punch bug in the, in the cartoon right. series. Right, right, you know, right. And now it's a Camaro. It's a Camaro. How did that happen? Yeah, but know. they were helping GM launch new Camaro design in a few years. That was why. So, But they brought well, the Camaro then, back. Then again, the Camaros, they seem to, nah, nah, not Camaro, I'm just saying, you see the trends. Like back in the late 70s, Trans Am... The Trans Am had that look. Oh, yeah, they did. But then the Camaro had kind of had that same kind of look. Well, the Camaro and Trans Am... And the Firebird had that same kind of look. Right. 
And then in the 80s when they kind of streamlined and sleeked it out, Trans Am kind of looked like the Camaro, kind of looked like the Firebird. So. Yeah. Um, the Almost every year, by the way, this goes for. Um, up until the very end of the Trans Am, the Pontiac was finally killed off as a, a species, the GM Motors. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people don't realize that the Trans Am and Camaro were basically identical cars. Uh, the body panels were slightly different, um, but the suspension was exactly the same. Um, like the, the 70 through 1980 Trans Am and Camaros, like right on my car, there's probably more Trans Am stuff on there now. The back seats from a 78 Trans Am WS6 Special Edition package. All right. The front sway bar is from a 79 Trans Am Special Edition package. The front springs are from a 79 Trans Am Special Edition. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, the cars are extremely interchangeable. Um, other than the power plants uh, in the 70s, uh, they were different. Uh, each manufacturer made their own. But uh, after that, you know, if you bought a Trans Am, you had a Chevy motor. That's basically what it boils down to. Um, but yeah, but uh, you know, the Transit 79, 77, 70, you know, the 77 is banded mm -hmm. edition, and then the 78 and the 79 Trans Ams are just gorgeous cars. You know, to this day, the 79 Trans Am with the WS6 package, okay, four wheel disc brakes. It was the only other car you could buy, by the way, that you could order with four wheel disc brakes other than the Corvette from the General Motors company. Um, even the Camaro didn't offer that as an option. Um, and it is an amazing car. Because on 15-inch wheels, it still set amazing record for G-forces. And I tell people this all the time. They're like, oh, you can't take an old car. My car's got 18-inch wheels. And I'm like, I don't care if your car has 18-inch wheels or not. You know, you're, I can look up the numbers that you pulled on a skid pad and compare them to a 79 Trans Am or even a 70 Camaro for that matter. And those, both those cars kick your car's ass with a little 15-inch wheel. You know, mm -hmm. it's the design of things. And... It just shows you how far advanced some of these designs were. And they came a lot from the Trans Am series from the early 70s when these cars were raced. And they had to meet certain criteria to meet on that racetrack, meaning that if you saw it on the racetrack, it had to come to the factory that way. So, And that was the cool thing, and that's the way NASCAR should be, not this look-alike contest we have today. You watch NASCAR, by the way? I, now as I have to. Yeah, well, see, I used to be a huge NASCAR fan. Now, this is going back in the 80s when Dale Earnhardt was the man. He was the GM flagship, old man Dale Earnhardt. Now, and he looked down in the bar, and we're going to look around. He can, he can testify right now there's Dale Earnhardt crap uh -huh. everywhere around here. Um, and over, you look on the, the window over there, Anvil? Yeah. Well, the window. Over oh, the window. Like, yeah. Oh, Dale oh, yeah. Earnhardt, yep. And then, Anvil, you can't see it from here, but underneath there, there are remote control cars I bought years before he was killed at Daytona. And I never even opened a box. I can't even imagine how much that stuff is worth. I brand new box, I didn't jump, I haven't opened. Shit's like 30 years old. Well, maybe not that, but you know, 20 years. Yeah. yeah. 17. Okay. 18. Yeah, actually about 20 years now, I think it's oh. 20 years ago. Yeah. So anyway, long story short. Uh, but that's when NASCAR was NASCAR. Uh, before they do they started really getting the restrictor plates. You know, when they got in the restrictor plates they made it very boring because all the cars were all like bushed up against each other and you had to have you know partner and it killed the one man car owner team because you could not compete in NASCAR anymore without having a teammate. And that's what made these multi-car teams and ownerships happen. And all the like the, the one man show teams are all gone today because of the stupid, stupid, you know, rules that they have. You know, if they really wanted to limit the performance you know, of these cars it's, and keep the mile per hours down. It's very easy. I, it's so simple. It's, it's ridiculously simple. You run what's called a mandatory gear ratio at any given track. Say like Daytona, you know, you can't run more than a 342 or anything less than a 342 gear ratio. You're only going to be able to pull so many RPMs before you blow that motor up. It's just a simple thing. It's very logical. And instead, they put these little restrictor plates. And what these restrictor plates do, they go between the intake manifold, and back in the day, the carburetor, but now it's all fuel injected. But they go in between those, and they take a hole this big, the size of a quarter, and knock it down to the size of a dime or a nickel. And actually, I say it's more of the size of a dime. And that restricts all that fuel and air going into the motor, and that's what the restrictor plate does. Um, it's very dangerous, in my opinion. It's not racing, but that's my opinion. Plus, they have what's called... You know, all the cars look the same now. You may say Ford right in the beginning or Chevy right in the top or Toyota somewhere. 
But if you look at the cars for aerodynamics and to be, you know, fair, quote, um, they all have mandatory uh, body panels. So every car looks the same other than the paint shops. Again, that to me, that's, it's not stock car racing. It's, you can't get anything close from the factory like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's nothing stock about them. I mean, it's a joke. I don't understand it at all. I, I'd rather watch an indie race at this point. And I ain't even joking. Yeah. But that's me, you know. And you're not you're not in this stuff, so I I'm not, but I get it. I know I can. You know, I've had family members that are. My uh, one of my brother-in-laws way back in the day was very into racing. He was always a lot local, and, and he was always into racing and traveled to Daytona and things like that. Right. I had a cousin that was a very good. I call it sketch driver, but did the like single single line sketches and things like that and he would do uh, race cars and he had race cars from all eras that he would or he would send my dad as a Christmas present one of these pictures hmm. so my dad had everything from like the when you first see them with the open cockpit and then the big wheels and things like that to uh, you know modern he had a Formula 1 car that he could one year and send it to cool so I've been around I just I just never got into it right right now did you uh ever have friends that had really cool cars they let you drive it or anything like that you remember really cool cars um or anything with a set of you know nuts probably <laughs> probably probably the the coolest car one of the coolest cars. had a friend that had a jaguar and that okay, was kind yeah. of fun to drive and had a friend that had a uh, nice mercedes and that was just a sweet ride but no driven anything exotic or Crazy. It had a chance for a Mustang, and uh, I'm just too big a guy for a Mustang. Very, <laughs> yeah, you are. It was, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, we actually we rented it, and we actually got upgraded to a uh, to a special package. And yeah. I said, "Is that it?" And like, oh, yeah, that's part of it. Like, yeah, let's get the Mustang on it. Let's get the Mustang. Yeah, okay. I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." And uh, I don't think I made it away from the airport. And I came back around. I went back and I said, I can't do a thousand mile <laughs> trip in this thing. There's no way. And she goes, well, we got these other options. I think we wound up getting, I think we wound up getting to some kind of convertible. I can't remember what it was, though, but that was great. I thought it was like late September when we took the trip. Yeah. And I'm good. I'm good with it. Lana just froze her ass on it. <laughs> we're, just, we're just hauling the highways at 80 in this convertible and it was like maybe 50 degrees out and she just she was dying by the time we got where we were going but uh it was a nice weekend so like short short bouts like i had the i could hit the sun or the top down but um yeah man, she wasn't happy about that but uh yeah you know just what i think uh, cars are i think i got some cores i'd love to have but they probably aren't Practical. Like if I could have, if I could have any car, I could have any car. It would be the '55 Lincoln for sure. I have seen pictures of it. I've never seen one in the car show, but I've seen pictures of it. This car, and this isn't how it came from the factory. I want, I want the, I want the tweaked out version, which would be later known as the Batmobile. <laughs> but that's what the Batmobile was uh, built on. Yeah. On a 55 uh, Lincoln. Uh, that'd be a cool car to have. Would be practical for where we're living. Nope. But you may only drive for a couple days a year. That'd be the and, car. and that's the thing with these, these muscle cars. And I, I can testify to this firsthand is I drive mine maybe once every two weeks. I take it out of the garage. I don't drive it to work. Very rarely do I drive work. I get out of the garage, I'll drive it on a Sunday with the kids and they enjoy it. We're going to a car show. Um, so it's really something that, you know, in the weather we live in, you know, the climate we live in, it's, you know, really May to, to really the end of October and that's it and put it away. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not practical in a lot of senses. It really isn't. I, and it's like my Harley. It's not very practical. <laughs> it's just not. I, you know, you look at things in life, it, I'll never sell the Camaro. The, the Harley, it may go, but the Camaro will never go, no matter what. Um, but the Harley may go. It may go. It's just not practical. I don't have time for it. It's not practical. It's not practical. <laughs> um, I want to allow you to ride on that. 
by the way, she keeps telling me I do all the work. Um, but, uh, you know, another cool car I got to drive. Now, my older brother, Mark, he's been in the Coast Guard for 28 years now. He is a warrant class officer, class four, uh, which is the highest he goes a warrant officer. And there's only three other people in the entire Coast Guard that have this rank. Um, so it's extremely difficult to get where he is as an enlisted person, and he made it. He makes mucho dinero. Anyway, uh, he has a ton of cool cars, and one of them he let me drive was a 69 Ford Mustang Fastback um, mm. with a four-speed and a big block. And it was only 4,000 of these cars made, and he has one total completely restored. Now, he's not mechanically inclined. He is not. Um, but he makes the kind of money where he can buy these cars done. And he did. And this car is awesome. And the cool thing about it was, you know, you get to compare and compare to your own car, your, right. your own classic. And I drove this car, and you can feel the torque of a big block, which definitely much more than my small block. It, I could tell it didn't have that kind of horsepower that mine does. It doesn't. Um, the power steering worked great, but didn't handle the way my Camaro handled, not even close. And it definitely, it did brake better because it had power brakes. And that's one thing I have to up, <laughs> upgrade major Lando Camaro, which I am going to do next year. Um, is the brake system. But uh, overall, it's a great, great, great car. 16 Ford Fastback, Mach 1, big block car with a four-speed. Um, my brother-in-law, uh, I cannot remember the year of his Mustang, but it's all perfectly, you know, he's had the car forever. Uh, it's a 1992, I believe, Ford Mustang GT. Um, he's got, like, they, they have different heads for these cars, and back in the day, you know, he's the bigger cam, and these aluminum heads and, you know, some little things that you could get. Um, I wish you remember the package for the, the, the heads for the Ford guys. It's driving me nuts. I, you should know it by hand. But anyway, very fast little car. You know, you know, four or five, five or four speed, whatever the hell it is. Five speed, maybe, you know, manual, but very fast. You know, in comparison, my, my Camaro has a turbo 350, you know, a shift kit and a 3,000 RPM stall converter. Very old school, you know. Um, but uh, a lot of cool cars, man. You know, I've ridden a lot of cool cars. I've ridden the 73 Dodge Charger a couple of times, uh, 71 Dodge Charger, 440, um, with the, uh, and that had a big four barrel on it too, and that was a drag pack car. That car was fast. That was my older brother, by the way. The other one, Joey. Um, yeah, ridden some amazing, I've been in a 68 GTO, 69 GTO. Um, I have, Literally been blessed with the amount of cars that I've been into, you know, and gotten rides in. Uh, last year when we went to Watkins Glen, mm -hmm. uh, we met a guy that was obviously a millionaire. He had like five cars in the damn road rally that we were in. And he had a Ferrari F12 or something, something crazy. I don't know what the hell the model was, but it was new. It was like three years old. It had 512 horsepower. And he let Keegan get in it and start the damn car and rev the motor. And then Keegan got out with a smile, like ear to ear. Oh, and I said, boy, you just got to start a car that had more horsepower than anything I've ever done. You know, and the kid was 12 years old, you know, and it made his, it made his whole weekend. You know, it was really cool. Yeah. Cars are, they're a big part of the, our culture. They are? I mean, I don't, I don't know how it is in Europe. I mean, Europe, European, there's a lot of European cars. Think of the Autobahn. Well, Man, those Autobahn people rock. Yeah. <laughs> But cars are a huge part of our culture. And you think, think about a movie you've seen. I can think of a lot of movies. And there's actors and it has this great actor. But the underlying hero of that movie the car. was probably the car. Yeah, and there's a couple and, of movies in like a, that. a car that you won't ever forget. Ever forget. And that is the first, you know... Smoking and the Bandit. Smoking the Bandit. The, the first movie you think Smoking of. Smoking the Bandit. Another movie is uh, Bullet. Have you ever seen Bullet? Bullet. Yep. Um, um, like I said, the Batmobile. Yep. Yep. The Green Horns car. The uh, Green 66 Horns car. Yep. Chrysler Imperial. Yep. Black Beauty. That was a great, that was a great looking car. Which Bruce Lee was, by the way. I don't even know Bruce Lee was actually Kato. Anyway. You know, back in the day, um, Starsky and Hutch. Yep. Their Grand Torino. Grand Torino. Special edition. You can actually buy that car. It's a special edition from the factory. Big white stripe yeah. down the side of it. Um, the A-Team. <laughs> the van. In, in the van. Oh, yeah. Which is yeah. black with a big red stripe down the side of it. 
Smokey and the Bandit. Cannonball Run. Phil! Phil Run, not just cars, but famous actors. All Run. I mean, oh my gosh, you had Jackie Chan when he was was the stuntman for Bruce Lee back in the 70s. Jackie Chan's in that movie. You had Don DeLuise. You had Burt Reynolds. You had uh, Farrah Fawcett. Mm -hmm. You had uh, Klinger. How was Klinger? Jerry Farr. Yeah, Jerry Farr. You had, I mean, did list okay, I'm James Dean. You uh what was the African American little guy? Um gosh. Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. You had all these amazing, amazing comedians and actors in that damn movie, which made and then you had all the cars, man. You know, you had all these cool cars. And to be honest, um Cannonball Run did steal that idea a little bit. Um, from another movie called The Gumball Rally. Gumball Rally had great cars. I have it on DVD. Great cars. Yeah. That's where I got the idea yeah. to paint my car yellow, by the way, was from that movie. Death so, Race 2000. Yep. <laughs> if you ever want to see a great movie, please see The Gumball Rally. Gumball yeah. Rally. Yep. You'll see a 19... In that movie, it's a 71, but... the car, 70 through 73 look the same, so it doesn't matter. But it's a 71 Camaro, and it's yellow... It didn't have black stripes. It had the rally uh, the, uh, SS stripes on it, but it was uh, uh, it was a full yellow color, and that's where I, I got the idea to paint my car yellow from that movie. You know, um, you may not remember the actors, but you know the cars. Actually, the Miami guy Vice. Yep, another yep. The yep. Daytona Spider yep. and the Testarossa. And the Testarossa. The white yep. black cars. What about uh, Magnum PI? The seventy-seven three hundred eight GTS. <laughs> yep. Bingo. Yeah, you, you may not be able to pick out Tom Selleck in the book, <laughs> but you know that Ferrari. You're gonna, and it could be, you say, that's Magnum's car. That's yeah. Magnum's car. Yeah, it's Magnum's car. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, Knight Rider. Yeah. The Kit 2000. Oh, the Kit 2000. Knight yep. Industries 2000. Trans Am. Trans Am. Almost, I would say, almost as famous as the Trans Am Burt Reynolds drove yep. is the Dodge Charger. That's General. Duke Boy Stroke. Yeah, General Lee. I think General Lee. I think General Lee may be the most famous. I would think. I think it is. I think it is. Um, I don't know. You're right. Maybe that's a tough one because, hmm, I don't know. You know, it's, it's one or two. One, one, either one of them, you know. Bo and Luke Duke. <laughs> you know, it's it's a, it's an icon, even with the, even with the Confederate flag on top of it. Yep. You knew. Oh, you know, and that's sad about that, by the way. We only have a few minutes left, but that's what's sad is you cannot buy the original model anymore with the Confederate flag for all that crap. You know, you can't do it anymore. They took, uh, Tester took the, yeah, you know, and they, get back to it. Yeah. But you can still find the original in uh, certain places. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, cars, and again, you may have a hard time with the movie, the car was the thing. Um, and this is going way back, and you're going to have to Google some of this. Colombo. And that, <laughs> oh, that jalopy, whatever it was that he drove, you know, Sanford and Son. In the red oh, yeah, Sanford and Son. The red yeah. pickup truck. Which, other than the credits in the opening of the show, you never yeah. see the truck. But, but, but you know that truck. You know Yeah, so... We have that love, and it's it's a subliminal kind of love. Yes, it is. Because, like I said, all these great movies, if you stop and think about it, you recognize the vehicles, too. That's right. That's right. And on that note, uh, we'd like to say uh, thank you to Diversity Broadcasting, Broadcasting. Network Absolutely. Uh, for having us on, as always. And uh, please check out their show list that they have on their webpage. You can see there's, like, literally, folks, if you want some cool stuff, there's something on every darn night of the week, and I have listened to a lot of the shows, and the shows are fantastic. I haven't listened to them all, cause, not because I'm not trying to. I, just, I don't always have the time, but I'm going to make time to make sure I listen to each show. Um, but there are some great shows out there and some great music. Uh, and someday we might be doing some of the music as well. Uh, but DiversityBroadcastingNetwork.com. Uh, great people. Uh, great shows. Uh, We're on Fridays at 10 o'clock. Uh, Purple Tide's been running about right, so we go on right about 10, maybe a little late. It ran a little late this week. Yeah. I don't know if you were you listening to Purple Tide. Yes, Tide I was. Yes. Um, I used to think that we might be on the border of not family friendly, but <laughs> after listening to last week's broadcast of the Purple Tie, we're well within our boundaries. Yeah, we're well within our boundaries. Uh, I'm. I know there was a couple times the line turned to look at me and says, 
doesn't the FCC monitor this? And I said, <laughs> obviously not. So, yeah, there was, that was in, I mean, it's a fun show to listen to, but. It's a great show. The the one woman that was on as a, as a guest was, she was literally F-bombing. Well, we try not to F-bomb. We, we try, yeah, we'll, we'll substitute words. Yeah. I, but uh, on that note. On that note. I think it's time to leave, and I, I just want to say this at the end of the show tonight is, don't smoke crack, folks. Smoke Tires. <laughs>